Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. If you're an adult, chances are good you've experienced back pain. In fact, you might be experiencing it right now. It's a condition that many accept as an unavoidable part of life, and yet it can be severely debilitating, with side effects ranging from sleepless nights to avoidance of physical activities. Given the frequency of back pain, you might expect that the American healthcare system was particularly adept at treating it. But a recent study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association suggests that despite numerous established clinical guidelines calling for conservative treatment of low back pain, such as Tylenol and physical therapy, back pain is often overtreated. In today's episode of Move Forward Radio, physical therapist Eric Robertson discusses the recent study and describes how the medical community's understanding of back pain has evolved over the years, from once recommending bed rest to now recommending against it. He also provides tips for avoiding back pain in the first place. As always, input from our guests is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with Eric Robertson. Eric, a recent study published in the July issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association indicated that despite current evidence for the conservative treatment of back pain, patients are not often being treated accordingly. The results are inflated costs and unnecessary treatments, which directly affect patient care, and that has an overall impact on the healthcare system as well. Eric, you didn't participate in the study, but give me a sense of the study's significance and what the takeaway is for the public and why it's important. Sure. You know, this is a really significant study, and it's important to understand that it's not the only one of its kind, which I think increases the significance of it. When you look at this study, it says, as you mentioned, that patients are being treated not in accordance with guidelines and that the rate that this is happening is increasing, which is a big concern to the healthcare system. As you mentioned, it increases costs and has a potential to reduce outcomes. When you combine this study with other findings, specifically a 2007 paper from Martin and Dio that looked at health expenditures and health status combined, what we can see is that we're spending more, patients are getting less well, they're having more functional limitations, and this may be the explanation for it in this current study is that we're not following the guidelines that we've established as a health community. I'm sure there are going to be a myriad of reasons, but at least potentially, why are we not following those guidelines? What's happening that things are breaking down? Well, in this particular study, they observed three main findings that were kind of uh, some concern. So number one is that the treatments weren't in accordance with guidelines in the sense that too much imaging was being ordered and a lot of referrals to specialists were also being observed, and those things can really cause some problems. The other thing was that use of narcotics was a big problem. They noticed that while guidelines recommend avoidance of narcotics whenever possible, in fact, the use of narcotics are increasing. And so the takeaway here when you talked about either those referrals to specialists or the the imaging scans, should patients basically come out of this feeling like, wow, if my physician recommends that I do this, that I should not trust those recommendations? What's the patient's responsibility in this? You know, I wouldn't go to the point that I would say you shouldn't trust a recommendation from your health provider because, you know, those are important relationships to have. As a patient, though, I would take this information pretty seriously and say, well, you know, I think the health system's having some trouble getting through this. I need to take it upon myself to educate myself as much as possible into what those main guidelines are. And, you know, 
the problem areas that this study highlights are a good starting point for that. So you can look at you know, being offered narcotics as a first-line intervention or going for advanced imaging right away. These are things that should kind of pop up and you should question and say, well, why are we doing those things? Because there may be a good, very good medical reason why you're doing them, but just understand what's happening. If we have all this evidence that suggests good conservative ways to treat back pain, why is it being overly treated? What's happening in the healthcare system that, that there is so much waste, essentially, in the end product to try and treat back pain? Yeah, it's a simple question with a really complicated answer. I think we can get some hints to it when we look at a field called translational science, and that looks at how evidence goes from scientists and research into the clinic, into the general populace. And when you look at that science, it says it takes, on average, about 17 years for research findings to go from the lab to the general public and really affect behavior at that broad population scale. And that's a really long time. And it's really not that acceptable when you consider the costs associated with low back pain. Why does it take that long? Well, there's different things that have to happen for these research findings to occur. You need to change attitudes and beliefs about care, and that's a really hard thing to do. So I think the takeaway from that is these guidelines, you know, were first really kind of finalized and firmed up and fairly recently in the early 2000s. And so we're really kind of early in that time frame, that evolution of moving the science into practice. And so it's not necessarily worthy to get into a blame game. People aren't doing the right things. But it is important to understand that it's happening, and we need to fix this earlier rather than later. Okay, so in the spirit of understanding what's happening, let's back up and let's take a broader view of this. So first of all, how common is back pain? Well, back pain is amazingly common in the United States. There's several different ways that we can look at it as a metric. I guess you can say that 10% of all physician office visits are related to back pain. You can also say that 80 to 90% of people will experience back pain at some point in their life. And if you look at the data from the study alone, it says overall about 70 million visits a year were related to back pain. Even more concerning is if you look at the trend over time as we've gone and progressed through the 2010 date where the study looked up through, at that point it was almost 90 million visits related to low back pain put that in comparison, about 61 million people voted for President Obama in the last election. Right. So, obviously, it's significant, and that probably means most of our listeners have had back pain or may, in fact, have back pain right now. If the study indicated potentially the wrong way to treat back pain or the most more unnecessarily costly way to treat back pain, what does current evidence suggest is the best way? Well, we've developed guidelines as a health system, and there's several sets of them. And each guideline by itself probably isn't the real answer, but when you look at them all together, a pattern emerges. And what that pattern is that physical therapy exercises is one of the great evidence-supported interventions for back pain. The other one is that primary care physicians should be able to handle most back pain on their own in terms of not referring you to a specialist or surgeon right away. So physical therapists care, primary care physicians working with low back pain, and then you have the avoidance of things, and that's almost more critical than the things you should do. You should avoid advanced imaging right away. You should avoid narcotics as a first-line intervention. Some of the things within physical therapy that you should do, because I think physical therapy exercises is kind of a broad topic, would include making sure that you can move, that you're flexible, and making sure that the muscles of your core are very strong. That includes your abdomen and your hip and low back. So how has our understanding of treating back pain changed? For example, I know in the past when somebody had back pain, the bed rest was something they resorted to, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's something that actually is recommended against at this point, correct? 
Oh, you're absolutely correct, and kind of been fun to watch it. I think it's kind of happened almost along the uh, the parallel of my career. So I was in training as a physical therapist a while back. That bed rest was just starting to emerge as maybe bed rest isn't the best option, and now there's really strong evidence against it, as a matter of fact. And so if you are advised for bed rest, you should also be aware that there better be a really good reason for that because bed rest is associated with worse outcomes, not better. So if activity is important to eliminating back pain or overcoming it, are there other things like that that we pick up along the way as, as we've moved away from bed rest? What have we moved toward? Well, you know, it's an interesting question, and there's a real simple answer to it, which is to keep moving. Obviously, that's kind of the baseline response to that. But I think even more than that, there's actually kind of an interesting debate happening in the medical community about the initial response to low back pain. If you look at our guidelines, they're working towards demedicalizing the condition in the sense that we should provide less treatment, less advanced imaging, less narcotic, less pharmaceutical treatment, less surgery, of course. And those are all good things, but we have to be careful in the context of less treatment that we also don't rule out less conservative treatment because there's another body of evidence that's emerging that says, well, we should perhaps be doing more conservative interventions early, and those conservative interventions would be things like physical therapy, inclusive of spinal manipulation and muscle strengthening, and just aerobic activity and exercise. So let's expand a little bit on that physical therapy and conservative treatment. You mentioned important areas to strengthen to try and take pressure off of the back. Give me a little bit more detail. If somebody has back pain, either low back pain or high upper back pain, are there common ways of treating that? Are there ways that seem to be more evidence-based and in producing outcomes than others? There's some evidence that is really supportive of spinal manipulation, especially early on in an episode of low back pain. That can, for most patients, uh, cause a pretty significant improvement in its symptoms right away. And then that spinal manipulation, of course, when you see a physical therapist, is combined right away with exercise and with neuromuscular re-education of the core muscles. I mentioned before your core muscles, everybody kind of understands intuitively that's your stomach muscles, but the core is actually more than that. It extends through the pelvic floor. It's your hip muscles on the front and the back of your hips and uh, even on the sides of your hips and some deep muscles in your low back. And really the physical therapist works with you to help get a strong foundation for movement. So you basically look at those two things combined. One is to help create motion at some joints and the other one is to help control that motion as you go through your day. Obviously, before somebody gets treatment for back pain, they need to decide that they need treatment. So if so many people have back pain and and so many people are experiencing it so commonly, how do they best decide this back pain is enough that I do need to go see my physician or my physical therapist or any medical health care professional? When do they decide that they've reached that point and when is it just okay to keep moving on their own and increase their core strength on their own? Yeah, so, you know, I think there's two thresholds for that answer. And the first threshold is, well, when should I get treatment? And my recommendation for that would be if the back pain is limiting your activities in any way, if it's such that, you know, it's hard to get in and out of bed or it's hard to get in and out of the car, you can't stay at your work desk for as long as you need to. Those are really important limitations. And uh, if they persist at all more than a day or two, I would probably say that would be where I would go access a physical therapist. And especially if you live in a state where you can access them directly, it would be a great way to do to get that evidence-supported intervention right away. The other threshold in that question would be, when do I really need to go see a health professional in the sense that something dangerous is happening? And it's important to understand that most back pain isn't dangerous at all. There are some symptoms that are really kind of critical to take note of, and that would be if you had some numbness or severe pain progressive, what we call progressive neurologic defects or deficits, which maybe you've lost muscle control in your leg or you had really strong tingling or numbness in any portion of your body, or if you had any bowel or bladder incontinence, those would be kind of that second threshold of really serious symptoms. And thankfully, not very many people experience those, but they're important to understand. And so if the good thing is if most back pain is not that serious, if most back pain can be treated conservatively, I guess the takeaway, too, for consumers is that if I have back pain, 
going to my medical health care professional to get this treated does not have to be a big ordeal. It does not necessarily have to be costly. It does not necessarily have to lead to multiple appointments over a long period of time. It sounds like this is something that, supported by evidence, can be treated fairly simply and allow somebody to progress and move on with their life. Yeah, ideally, you know, but then when you look at the beginning of our conversation here, was this study that came out looking at worsening trends in the care of low back pain. Ideally, it shouldn't be uh, a major medical intervention, right? It shouldn't be surgery. It shouldn't be going for MRI appointments and getting narcotics prescribed to you or, you know, a bunch of different pharmaceuticals. It should be a very simple, conservative approach to your back pain. What we're seeing, though, is that that isn't necessarily happening, and that's where the, re- the consumer can really arm themselves having a good understanding of this information, and then also developing a relationship with a health provider like a physical therapist that can help you dissect what the best path is, what's the best evidence. And, you know, those relationships are forged over time, but uh, that's an important part of your healthcare decision-making. And it's basically, in a sense, having the confidence to say, okay, I don't have numbness, I don't think I have serious back pain, so I'd like to try something conservative first, like physical therapy, for example, before I resort to prescription medication or before I resort to surgery, before I resort to an MRI, I'd at least like to try that first and at least asking your physician, for example, if you see your physician first. That seems to be the appropriate way to go about it. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds like really good advice. You know, back pain is a funny animal in the sense that when you have it, you know, there's just a a lot of emotion about it because it it really hurts. It disables you in a sense. And associated with that is a lot of fear about the back pain. And so your instinct is, oh, my God, I need to get this fixed. But in the reality, you know, you can have some pretty intense pain that's really just related to very simple things when it comes to your low back. And so, you know, keep moving. Don't stop. Don't go into the bed rest mode. Keep being active. And then, you know, ask your health provider, whether it's your physical therapist or it's your primary care physician, say, how do I best treat this? What's the best way? that I can approach this conservatively. Key buzzword there, conservatively, is is an important word in that question. We've talked about the treatment itself, but can it be prevented before it starts? Can I avoid back pain altogether? And and if so, how? Well, many of the same treatments that we use to correct somebody's structure when they have low back pain are the same things that you can use to help prevent it. So those would be things like making sure you're limber, you're stretching enough, making sure that you're doing regular aerobic exercise, not staying in necessarily the same position all the time. So perhaps, you know, getting up and going for a walk often if you have a very sedentary job, those things can help prevent low back pain. And then any kind of core strengthening that you want to do is a really great idea. Now, we talked about what evidence has shown. What do we not know at this point? Bed rest is the example we used about first it was seemed like a good idea, now not so much. Where are the gaps in the evidence in terms of treatment of low back pain? Posture, for example, is that something that we know definitively textbook grammar school posture is always beneficial or can that vary person to person? What don't we know? Yeah, posture is one of those things that kind of creeps up and, and, you know, you have this understanding intuitively from when you're very young that you should have good posture. And, you know, you're maybe corrected by your elders when you're younger about good posture and it's important. When it comes to back pain, posture isn't necessarily correlated to how your back is doing very well. So when patients come into the physical therapy clinic, posture is something that I achieve through working on other things. I don't tell somebody to correct their posture. What I'll look at instead is looking at any muscle tightnesses or muscle weaknesses that they have somewhere in their chain. And we'll work on those impairments. And that seems to be more important than just telling somebody to work on your posture, sit up straight, or, you know, you need more arch in your back or you need less arch in your back. Those things sort of iron themselves out when you have good muscle balance and flexibility. Is there anything else from a research perspective that you wish we knew? I think that I wish the world knew how much money is spent on low back pain. It's actually a tremendously expensive condition with a positive prognosis, and that seems kind of like a little contradiction there. 
but if you look at the perspective of overall expenditures in back pain, we spend about $90 billion a year on low back pain, and that's equivalent to the total amount of what we spend as a health system on all cancer combined. And if you compare those two things, it's, you know, how in the world can you spend that much money on low back pain? Because obviously cancer is a very system-intensive condition. And I think it just speaks to the fact that, well, A, there's a lot of people that have low back pain, and B, there's a real lot of mismanagement in low back pain. It's interesting. There's a lot of reasons why that is, but I think that perspective kind of would help provide a little impulse to everybody to treat back pain a little smarter. Do we know if there's any correlation at this point to, say, obesity and back pain? It seems like that would be more weight on your structure and if the idea is to keep moving, that that would be a way to not only avoid back pain, but to also just get in better shape physiologically. Sure. And obesity carries a lot of risk factors all on its own. And so aside from cardiovascular risk factors that are associated with obesity, there can be increased musculoskeletal complaints associated with obesity, whether it's arthritis or it's back pain. And Perhaps it's not necessarily obesity as much as it could be the secondary like lack of activity or weakness or deconditioning that is often associated with that. But is there a strong correlation between obesity and low back pain? No, there's not. But it's a good rule of thumb to keep moving, keep going for walks, and try to combat it. So you talked about all the money that gets spent on low back pain. We talked about the importance of having the knowledge of knowing what to talk to your physician about or your physical therapist about if if you have low back pain. So just as a final takeaway, if someone experiences low back pain regularly, if they haven't seen anybody but they're trying to decide if they should, if they're trying to figure out how to move beyond this back pain altogether, what's kind of some parting advice? Parting advice would be don't suffer with back pain. There's things that you can do to help it out, and there's providers that can help you along through a very conservative approach, one that's not, you know, associated with risks that narcotic pharmaceuticals are or surgery is. There's good evidence to support that for especially acute low back pain. When you're currently experiencing that new onset of low back pain, physical therapy can really improve that. So don't sit there and suffer with it. Go ask somebody about conservative approaches to your pain, and that may help you. Eric Robertson, thank you very much for your time. Sure, thanks for having me. To learn more about physical therapist treatment of low back pain, see our Symptoms and Conditions Guide at MoveForwardPT.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.